Crumb. Howard Days, 2022, the REH Influence on Gaming. This recording, presented by the Chromecast, is from Friday, June 10th. The panelists provide a history and overview of the many forms of games initiated by the words of Robert E. Howard. Panelists include Joel Bylos, Jason Ray Carney, Bill Cavalier, Matt John, and Fred Malmberg. The panel is moderated by Mark Finn. Welcome to Robert E. Howard Days, everybody. <laughs> Dude, boy, talk about a long time to get here. Thank you so much for, uh, for showing up to this. Uh, my name is Mark Finn, and I'm going to be moderating this panel. Uh, I'm uh, pretty excited because I'm not going to talk much, uh, which is rare. Uh, scarce, and uh, I'm glad there's photographs here so people can say, yeah, yeah, he didn't say much. Uh, what I'd like us to do before we get started is, uh, is to introduce ourselves uh, very briefly, since we have uh, enough people here for a rugby match. Uh, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, uh, what, what our connection to gaming with Robert E. Howard and Howard Properties is. And then we'll get into the, the fun stuff. So uh, can we start uh, down here with Fred? Sure. Uh, I'm Fred Malberg. I happen to be this year's guest of honor, which is fun and uh, very grateful for that. And um, thank you. I encountered fantasy through uh, gaming, and I came to spend my life so far working. I started a games company back when I was a teenager in the 70s, and I spent the year interning at various American game companies, which we'll probably go through some of the stuff that they were working on. and, and um, yeah, I've been stuck in that industry ever since. <laughs> I moved from Sweden to here 20 years ago. So now I'm a dual citizen, happy to be here at Crossplanes. Thank you. So I'm, uh, I'm Bill Cavalier from Michigan City, Indiana. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I have been a fan of Rory Howard since 1966. And uh, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since 1978. So uh, uh, the, the Howard influence on Dungeons and Dragons, that's what I'm going to talk about. And uh, uh, it's deep, wide, and, uh, and uh, very prominent, as you're going to find out. Uh, so pass this along. Oh, uh, so hi, I'm uh, Jason Ray Carney. I am an uh, English professor at uh, Christopher Newport University in Virginia. And I uh, teach popular literature. And Really into um, Pulp Fiction and uh, that sort of stuff. Robert E. Howard, of course. Uh, but probably um, the reason why I am a academic studying po uh, popular literature is because I got into it through gaming. My grandmother uh, in 1992 bought me a board game called Hero Quest. And there's the Les Edwards cover of this giant barbarian that is not Conan, but is pretty much Conan, you know. And uh, anyhow, um, so um, gaming 
um, reading uh, fantasy fiction, and um, they're like uh, part of the same enterprise for me. So uh, happy to be here. Hi, um, my name is Joel Bylas. I'm uh, I've come here from Oslo, Norway. I originally am from Australia, but I've lived in Norway for 15 years. And for most of that 15 years, I've been working on the Conan games that have been released by Funcom, so the, the video games. So, um, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about that. My first experience with Conan is not as exciting as other people's. It's just my sister had a giant poster of Arnie on her bedroom wall. <laughs> she really liked Arnold back in the, back in the day. But, uh, but over the years, I've come to love, um, well, all the power to work, really, but Conan is the one that I've been very focused on, so, yeah. John. Um, I've worked on several Conan games for a couple of different publishers, uh, mostly Monolith, um, which is an ongoing game, new stuff coming out. Um, you know, cut my teeth on D&D &D and also HeroQuest with that immortal Les Edwards artwork. So, um, yeah, happy to be here. It's my first Howard Days. There we go. Hey, just, I love Show of hands real quick. If this is your first Howard Days, uh, raise your hand. Wow. Yeah. Right. All right. There's a lot of gaming nerds here. This is awesome. Uh, okay, well, let's get the ball rolling because uh, it really kind of starts with uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It does. Uh, and that's, uh, that's Bill's uh, forte. Uh, Andy, what do you got for us? Well, you know, I, uh, I, wrote, a, I, I wrote an article for... Uh, Nights at the Dinner Table, the comic magazine that uh, devoted the game. Some of you are familiar with that. Uh, and uh, I wrote an article about uh, how Robert E. Howard uh, influenced the creation of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, but I have to go back even a little bit farther because uh, while uh, Howard didn't, uh, didn't influence, you know, he did influence gaming, but his first influence in gaming was with, uh, I, can, I can read you a quote. This is what Gary Gygax wrote in Shadith Magazine. Uh, he said, fantasy wargaming began before adventure gaming. In fact, it began before chainmail. Tony Bath of England was conducting tabletop battles roughly based on the Hyborian age of Robert E. Howard's Conan years before the fantasy supplement of chainmail was published, and that was in 1971. Uh, so uh, we have to give Tony Bath props for for recognizing the uh, the, the game ability of Robert E. Howard. Uh, but Mr. Gygax was the, uh, a very prominent uh, exponent of uh, of Robert E. Howard influencing Dungeons and Dragons. I actually got to speak with him in, live and in person. I've been, I've been going to Gen Con since 1980, and uh, in the early years of Gen Con, they, they were, uh, it was on a, uh, a college campus, and uh, he was very accessible as far as he would walk around and just hang out with everybody. The, the attendance was only about 1,500 people. So he would, he would you know, just come and hang around, and sit down and play games with people. And uh, I knew he was a fan of Robert E. Howard, and so one day I just sat down and we started talking about Robert E. Howard. And he, I, I wish I had written some of this down, but I, I didn't. 
but he, he readily uh, uh, agreed to the, uh, uh, the influence of Robert E. Howard, how Howard helped him influence, uh, you know, helped, helped him create Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, uh, he, uh, uh, I can read you another quote here, as soon as I can find it. Uh, I, can, I can tell you. The, uh, uh, Gary Gygax uh, originally read The Hour of the Dragon in the Gnome Press editions in the 1950s. And uh, he did say that that changed the way he looked at fantasy for the rest of his life. And so, as he, of course, as he created uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, he drew upon uh, Robert E. Howard's Conan as, uh, as an example of, of some of the, the player characters. And also, the, the co-creator of Dungeons and Dragons was a fellow named Dave Arneson. Now, I, I tied him down a little, a little more, and, and I tried to get a, an exact quote from him, and I did, about how Howard had influenced uh, the creations of D&D. And he said, uh, he said, uh, I asked him what, what directly, what was the, the influence of Robert Howard over helping you create D&D? And he said uh, it was the looting, pillaging, and killing aspects of Conan. And, and it was also the hero fighting critters. Well, that pretty much describes Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. you know, and, and uh, but, uh, I do have to say that, uh, and of course, well, I, I, I can back up a little bit. Uh, there, is, there is the infamous Appendix N in the back of the uh, uh, Dungeon Master's Guide. And all through uh, the incarnations of D&D, &D, you know, first edition, second edition, you know, AD&D, and, and uh, any time Gygax had anything to do with, uh, with writing uh, about D&D, he would always mention uh, Robert E. Howard's Conan. And Appendix N is in the, the uh, uh, AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide. And what that is, is just, it's a list of all the literary influences that, that helped uh, Gygax create Dungeons and & Dragons. And, uh, 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 and there's, I think there's like 40 of them. But uh, uh, there are seven that are most prominent and uh, Robert E. Howard is one of those one of those seven, specifically Robert E. Howard's Conan. Uh, Mr. Gygax loved Robert E. Howard. He loved Conan, um, and uh, um, so that was pretty much the genesis. And then and then they, they they kept building on that. And of course, as we know, the the game developed into uh, really into what it is now. But uh, you still have to go back to your roots. And uh, when you go back to the roots of the creations of Dungeons and Dragons, you will find Robert E. Howard. Robert E. Howard was the only author cited by both Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax as a uh, 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 help to create Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Dave Arneson said, uh, uh, I asked him about directly about Howard's influence. He said, well, I was sitting around one day and I was doodling on some graph paper, and I was eating popcorn, and watching Godzilla movies, and I was reading Conan novels. And he said, well, all just kind of came out of that. But he specifically said he was reading Conan novels. Well, this would have been in the very early 70s. 
Ilvi Kona novels available than were the Lancer editions. So there's proof that uh, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax used Robert E. Howard to create uh, uh, the massive industry of role-playing games. So that's pretty much all I got. We can, we can move along now. <laughs> well, TSR uh, was very quick uh, early on to uh, capitalize on the success of, of, uh, of their game. And in the it, it started early on with them trying to shoehorn more Howard stuff in. Uh, one of the earliest articles in uh, one of the earliest Dragon magazines involves uh, somebody writing up the Barbarian as a, as a playable character class. And they tried several different iterations of this before they eventually just added it into the game instead of an optional thing. And it, it's been there ever since. Now the Barbarian in fifth edition doesn't really resemble Conan over much. Uh, probably for a number of, of copyright and uh, trademark infringement reasons. But uh, the fact that they, at least initially, were really interested in doing a barbarian separate from a fighter because they recognized that, you know, Conan does things a little differently. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And um, they actually did some uh, modules, some adventures set for Dungeons and Dragons using Conan, uh, this was around the time of the Destroyer, so they had uh, photos of Schwarzenegger on the on the cover, and they the modules themselves kind of talked about here's all the things you have to kind of not use if you're going to play uh, Conan, and I think I don't know who did it. I, I think it might have been Zeb Cook uh, that originally just said, "Why don't we just do a Conan game? Let's just do that." <laughs> and so the the Conan. Uh, RPG was one of the first things uh, that uh, that was dedicated, you know, to uh, Howard's world uh, and and setting, uh, and it was uh, it, it was really good. I, the The system now has got a lot of fans. Back then, the problem with it for most people my age was that it wasn't Dungeons and Dragons, and that was its only real sin. Uh, yes. So we, we probably shouldn't stay too much in ancient history, but yes. my first encounter, or where I ended up as an intern, was with a company called The Chaosium, uh, which had just published RuneQuest. Uh, and I um, was lucky enough to rent a room uh, and with Steve and Louise Perrin. I rented a room, and I, I interned uh, for Chaosium, and play-tested Call of Cthulhu and other games. But how I got to know Greg Stafford, who created the company, was because I was importing his White Bear and Red Moon wording. And that was the first time somebody, to me, had explored the fantasy world in a board game format. And it was just fascinating. What I found out later, much later, in fact only last or year or the year before, when he passed, was that um, when he was, right before he created the Chaos, he was either going to be a carpenter or he would do a game company. And this is in the Bay Area. And I actually happened to own uh, an intarsia. He carved out in wood a large map 
of the Hyborian Age. And each country, and it is, it's meticulously done, and he signed it in 73 or 74, so just before he decided to, I'm not going to do this carpentry stuff, I'm going to do this game company, so I think we have Howard to, you know, he probably felt, ah, no, too much work to do these, these Intarsia Hyborian things, I'll do games instead. Wow. Is the map still around? The map is in my home office. Oh, <laughs> All right. We'll be right over. <laughs> so what what came after that? I mean, we had that Conan, we had the Conan uh, TSR game for a while. And, uh, and then GURPS, uh, a few years after that, did a, did a Conan supplement. And uh, all of these, I, I, I kind of want to say this because it's going to come up later. Uh, all of these were, were using material based on uh, what I'm going to call the saga. The 12 books with the stuff that, that DeCamp added in along with the existing uh, Howard stories. 12, 12 Lancer books. You yeah. Make that distinction. I should say the 12 Lancer. Well, the Ace reprinted them too, right? Well, they, they had all those. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, they and 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 the and Gerb's Conan actually even pulled some of the pastiche novels in as well because they needed material for you know adventures and stuff like that. And so I believe uh, elsewhere, you can't wrote the introduction to the Gerb's uh, game. I've I've blocked that. I don't. Sorry. No, it's okay. Oh yeah, and, and Jason's got up on the screen um, uh, the, these solo games that you could play. That was kind of yeah. a big deal. Uh, Chaosium did some of them. Uh, they were they were literally uh, adult versions. They were TSR. These are TSR. That's TSR. Oh no, no, I meant the the other ones. Uh, the yeah. the go back. Yeah. Uh, okay, we got Royal Armies. We skipped that one. Yeah, I know. There, yeah. 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 Those are, uh, yeah. Those GURPS are, are standalone games. They're they're basically very adult versions of the choose your own adventure books, right? Uh, where you you know you're on your own, or the uh, fighting fantasy books, where you you know you're supposed to tally off your own you know hit points and don't go look at the other thing to do. You know, yeah. Those were those were those were fun, but uh, th that was mostly stuff that came out in the late mid to late 80s and early 90s and then things got kind of quiet for a few years except for hall of volta i think joel did you ever play hall of volta yeah so hall of volta i did play um but actually only last year because <laughs> I, I made a point of going back and playing every kind of game i think though if you've made this I think there's a game you're missing that was... Oh, really? It's not a Conan game. It's just called Barbarian. Mm -hmm. But yeah. how many people have played Barbarian? I, I remember Hall of I don't remember Hall of, Hall of Volta. Yeah, Hall of Volta was bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Barbarian is an amazing game, and that's and that's basically... They may as well have called it Conan, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's two, two guys facing off in a pit with a princess up top and a wizard watching, right? And you, and you just fight through these levels over and over. And, and the thing that was really cool about that game was that I think it established the visceral tone, like the you, you can decapitate people. I think for the first time in that game, like and, and it's a 
if you manage to do the decapitation move, the guy just dies and then like his servant walks on screen, kicks the head away and drags the body off. <laughs> wow. Very, very cool. Very, very detailed. <laughs> wow. In uh, in 8-bit graphics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it had a great soundtrack. It actually had one of the one of the best soundtracks I can remember from the C64 era. That's so. awesome. That's funny. They did. They didn't. Uh, they didn't do a eight bit uh, Basil Polidorus did, or anything like that. No. <laughs> okay. They, 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 it, it has a bit of that flavor to it. Though. Okay. It's not bad. It's cool. Not bad. Very cool. Uh, so that, that was a uh, was that a uh, uh, computer game? Yeah, uh, that was a computer game. Okay. Yeah, okay. Like Commodore sixty four. Sixty four. Probably. Not, not probably a, I think you can probably get it on PC as well. Early PC game. It's yeah. Sort of like yeah. Okay. So, but I think you're touching on something which is interesting because there's a, there are the older gamers, uh, like me and Indy, that were kind of tabletop people. And then there was a shift in the 80s when we kind of kept going with our tabletop and paper RPGs. And, um, and the first wave of video games was Atari, ColecoVision. They went away. And then that was the golden time for roving publishers around the world to actually yeah. aim straight for the middle graders, here's paper stuff, because there was no competition. What happened was in 1986 when Nintendo brought out this new machine, we had very tough times recruiting kids into paper games, because they saw something much more flashy, much cooler, more accessible. Um, and then I think some of us older gamers came back to to video gaming through the computer games, when the PC became a good platform. But that was later. That was not until, yeah. I would say, mid-90s. Yeah, it took, months and it, took, it took a while for the video games uh, and the computer games to catch up. Because what you could do at a table with imagination and, and you know, a, a limitless special effects budget, uh, you were you were limited by, by the amount of memory that you had. And so sometimes it was an either-or choice, or sometimes it was... Uh, you know, what if I don't want to do either one, you know, and so for a while adventure gaming like that was pretty unsatisfying uh, it, it, it took a while to to catch up uh, to that. Yeah, 100% it was it, it's because because the first games people were trying really they were trying to recreate the tabletop experience as well They were trying to bring over tabletop gaming into like digital spaces right and and play on their own because you know, that's what we do, we're very lonely people. <laughs> so, but but it was um, yeah, they were trying to recreate complex rule sets. Computers weren't fast enough. I mean, I don't I don't know if anyone remembers, but in the eighties, at least the the games that I played on my Commodore sixty four, they didn't have space on the disc for text. So you had a book beside it that you would read. Oh yeah, it'd be like go to journal entry sixty seven, and then you'd open the book. And I kind of miss that. It kind of feel it had a very tabletop feel to it, right? And and I think that. Um, Bucks. How how its influence on all of those, and that's and I think it comes back to that as well. Like I mentioned, Barbarian, Volta. Like there's a lot of these sort of muscle men games. Um, Masters of the Universe was one that was very popular, right? Where you played as He-Man, who's obviously a, a you know a Conan uh, analog. So yeah, it's uh. But they were they were trying to recreate tabletop. They were trying to bring you know that feeling. But I do think it's very interesting that Conan's first real game was not an RPG on on computers. It was definitely an action game, which I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what's... Can I, can I say... Uh, please. Uh, just um, 
before we move into uh, modern uh, Conan gaming, um, Larry Elmore at uh, GaryCon was talking about, he's a, Larry Elmore is one of the best Dungeon Dragons artists of all time, right? And he was talking about his move to fantasy, right? Like his, his attempt to you know, um, start uh, uh, drawing dragons and wizards and stuff. And he cites the Lancer Conans as his, um, his inspiration. He said he um, uh, started painting before he read the, the books. Right? So he said he saw these Frazetta covers and just was you know, blown away. But um, when, when he was talking about his uh, inspiration for his Dungeon Dragons art, uh, um, Conan comes up a lot. I thought that was interesting. So the 90s uh, were, were kind of a sort of a dead zone for a lot of Robert E. Howard properties. There, there wasn't much happening at that point. Um, but I think one of the first licenses that popped that I saw uh, that, that kind of kick-started things again, I shouldn't say kick-started, uh, this was <laughs> 20 years before that, uh, was, um, was the, the Conan game that Mongoose put out. Um, it was was there something before that? Am I misremembering, or was just Gurps and then that? Right? Yeah, after Gurps, we get there was a little pause, and then and then we got Mongoose's Conan. And what was nice about Mongoose was uh, they had licensed the the open uh, source uh, Dungeons and Dragons rules. So this was the first time that there was a there was an uh, an analog or a, a synergy between what was. D and D at the time, and now, you know Howard's Worlds, and uh, that system was really popular. Uh, it got a lot of people in. I I love the uh, implementation of D twenty to the Conan flavor. Um, that's kind of how I ended up being here. I started a group on Facebook originally called Conan RPG Players, uh, which I later called Conan Gaming Group. But it was because I loved that game so much, and there wasn't. Uh, I kind of got into it toward the end when it was hard to get that second edition book. Um, yeah, which famously kind of fell apart. The bindings had issues, um, but that was uh, that was a big one for me with the sort of the massive damage rule. Mm -hmm. So contrary to other 3.5, where you made these <coughs> superheroes who were indestructible, um, even in that game when you got high level one shot to put you down. Yeah. Which I think is kind of important to uh, keep that deadliness in there. And there was also a, a spinoff from this because of the popularity of of that system. They they also later did a Solomon Kane uh, game where you got to, you know, fight pirates and vampires at the same time in the jungles. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's great. Uh, and then, and then that game world got adapted to another system called Savage Worlds, uh, which is kind of interesting that they ported over the content rather than the, the system itself. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, and uh, this is one. Of, this is one of the. I think Solomon Kane, uh, from a pop culture standpoint, this is where Solomon Kane starts to kind of come into his own as a character at this time because. We've had Solomon Kane in, in a lot of different iterations, more so than we have with uh, some of the other uh, Conan or Robert E. Howard properties. I mean, uh, that's been uh, right up to and including the board game uh, that just recently showed up at my door and I thought I had ordered a washer and dryer. <laughs> uh, damn thing's enormous. Um, yes, Jason? No, just, just a brief comment. Uh, Solomon Kane is in uh, fantasy gaming 
through the Witchfinders in a Warhammer fantasy. It's like that he was, cl uh, cl I don't know, it's just 100% uh, citation of Robert E. Howard, if, if you know that game and those, those characters. You can argue with me if you want, but there's no, a lot. No, I, I, I'm down, I'm down. Um, so that was actually, uh, all of this was happening in the early 2000s. Um, this, I think, leads us up to, um, yeah. Uh, are you ready? <laughs> Hit it. <laughs> well, I have three copies of this game. I, I can do a, a segue intro for Joe because yes. this was a game which was, it was actually being negotiated, the deal for it, with Elfogram, a French uh, a video game maker, when we were just acquiring the estate. Okay. And it was a done deal, and yet not. Right. So it moved over to a company called TDK, and TDK was part of, they had a, a US TDK as well, it was part of the big TDK corporation, and the head of it was a German gentleman who was a die-hard Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. <laughs> and at that time, we really tried to move away from the Arnold imagery. Right. So it was like a constant battle between me and him and me. Because <coughs> of course, with video game manufacturing, they always, they always miss deadlines. Yeah. And so a very good way to renegotiate deals is to sort of say, okay, you get another year's extension. If not, then they come back and say, like, oh, we're we good. Now we cut away movie rights. Now we cut away. But it was, it was actually very painful because he was super passionate about the comment he wanted to make. And I'll leave it to Joel to comment on the gameplay there. Well, um, of course I'm biased. But uh, I played it quite a lot. I played it through probably three times, um, and it's it's an, like it has some very. First of all, I think it uses the movie music. Yes, quite a bit. So it has a very authentic soundtrack, which is very nice. And I think it was dubbed to various languages, and the German voice is the dubber for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Cool. And they tried very hard to make sure that the locations felt iconic, and you really do get some of the sense, um, especially as you're slogging through the snow, and you know, in the in the Pictish swamps, which they have in the game. It's it's quite a good representation of sort of like a rock tour of Hyboria. Like let's jump around to different places, and but the the story itself is relatively nonsensical, and the gameplay was really badly hindered by a terrible camera, sadly. Mm -hmm. So it. The controls themselves and the way you fight, they're okay, but the the camera is so bad that it makes the experience just fall apart for you, sadly. But it's a it's an interesting game because it feels like such a mashup of like it's almost like a, a popular look at Howard influences of, of Conan. It's like these are it's like viewing it through the lens not through the lens of Howard, but for for how people have seen different things made by people who've been influenced by Howard. Right. That's what it feels more yeah, like. Yeah, it's pop culture Conan yeah. rather than Howard Conan. And right. that, we make that distinction a lot here. <laughs> there's pop culture Conan and then there's, you know, Howard's Conan. Right, so it definitely has that lens. Totally. Okay. Um, was that... Uh... This was a pretty cool game. Yeah. And it could have been even better because at this point, this is like 2005, I think, and we were already working with... Joel's company for the MMORPG, the Age of Conan, which was going to be the big, massively uh, multiplayer online universe.
but this would be a standalone fighting game. And uh, THQ, an LA-based company, I was out there, we got a top producer, and they were going to spend a big budget with a top developer, and everything was moving very well. They also got a great uh, composer. He went on to score, I think, God of War, uh, Mike Regan. So everything was lined up to do a, a really great game until THQ got a new boss, and and all of a sudden it's like, why are we going to pay royalty for this? We're going to why are we doing a cloning game? We had a side deal. Uh, so all of a sudden we just said, no, we're not gonna do this calling game and you are a breach of contract because you've got this Funcom company doing it. Okay. And we had a quibble and we had to bring in the lawyers and of course they thought, well, we have six in-house lawyers, these guys aren't gonna give up. And, and um, what was sad though was that the marching orders to the developer, Nihilistic, up in the Bay Area was take out everything that is Robert E. Howard's code that can be trademarks or copyrights and just make it a generic barbarian game, which they started to do. And then six months later, when the, um, uh, ooh, we've got a company, when the, um, the deal was done and they realized we should really release this as Conan because we should, uh, and they should, and they did, but they had to capitalize at that point on the release of the Funcom MMO Age of Conan. So they kind of just bootstrapped the rest of the production. And uh, it came out, and it, 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 I think it would be interesting to hear if somebody played it, but I think it, it has some hints of the greatness it could have had. Yeah, yeah I, I don't remember that coming out because my enthusiasm was overshadowed by by Age of Conan. Here. You know, that was the, that was the thing that uh, absolutely, I think all of us were like stoked, <laughs> you know. Uh, finally, we were going to get a Conan game that other people could play at the same time that was, uh, that was grounded with, with all these great locations and, and you can choose what you want to be. And I mean, dude. <laughs> and it got mentioned on Big Bang Theory. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, Sheldar the Barbarian. And it had a Playboy uh, <laughs> special. Uh, yeah. I know, I know the artist who did that. He enjoyed it way too much. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever met Fabian? No. Oh, we'll have beers with him next oh time. Oh, no, He'll enjoy that. Um, on, sorry, before we jump to Age of Conan, oh. let me talk about the THQ one a little bit. Uh, I, I did play this a lot. You played it too, from yeah. what I understood? Yeah. Um, it's... It's, the, the, they're going for the God of War style gameplay. I think God of War had come out the year before. I think God of War had just had beaten it out and they were going for that style of gameplay. But the thing about God of War was that it was extremely tight, extremely tight on the control side. And it was a very focused game on, on you know, they were kind of like, oh, we're doing a, a, a rock tour of you know, Greek mythology, right? And, yeah. and, and this felt very disjointed. And Ron Perlman, I love his voice, but he sort of phoned it in, I think bit on the voiceover on this one. He wasn't, he wasn't the greatest Conan that I've heard. Yeah, I, I would say uh, from my standpoint, it was, it was interesting that you had those two titles kind of floating around uh, at the same time because this one catered to a different kind of gamer than the MMO. MMOs are big, crunchy, time commitment games. This was fast action. And no, it, it was imperfect, but it was a fun game. Um, 
And one thing I hear a lot in Conan gaming is you hear from the different folks who they do want a verbose kind of game, but you also hear from those who want an action-adventure game as well. So it was an interesting time that you had the two concurrently. I just have a question. Uh, I, I think the, um, the uh, uh, Agent Conan novels, they came out before the MMO was released because I remember being confused because I was all excited about like Age of Conan and I think I thought this was Age of Conan at one point because I was reading the novels and then I got this game and I'm like, I don't think this is it. But yeah, that, that, that is also, you learn uh, as you live, right? When uh, I've got the perfect plan, we've got, you know, uh, these guys are going to make novels, huge deal, we've got the greatest cover artist, these guys are going to make the game, let's make sure we have characters that aren't Conan, we're not going to write these books about Conan, but about characters and locations that feature in the game, uh, and, um, and then we can do other things, we can also have the comic book line. It was all planned out lovely, and then of course the Funcom guys say, wow, World of Warcraft just raised the stakes here, so we have to put in a couple of hundred people and two more years and make this $5 million game a $45 million game. So we're going to push the release until 2007, let's say. Meanwhile, that's not how the book industry works. They're like, no, we are releasing because this is the schedule and this is what we do. Great team, they were the old uh, ace team actually over at uh, Penguin and Ginger Buchanan has been a big uh, uh, support but you know so they released these books and there was nothing to support them it was very sad but yeah. the, these things happened. Ironically though maybe maybe fortuitously when I was writing quests for Age of Conan I was using those books for reference to make those characters more interesting in the game <laughs> so you know it paid off on some level for us. It's good for seeing the characters from the novels in the game it's just like <laughs> so when this thing hit, this thing hit like a tidal wave. I mean, uh, there was a deluxe presentation, uh, which was great because it actually included um, uh, uh, Paul Salmon's, uh, like an excerpted thing from from his book that, that sort of talked about um, Robert E. Howard's Conan, which is nice. This was, th what's cool about this is um, probably in, in a way that I don't think any other project is done this put Howard's name front and center for millions of people who previously only knew of Conan and not Robert E. Howard and so it was really a, a sea change I think uh, for, for that you know yeah I mean internally we have sort of a rule that like Howard is the only source of truth Right, like that's that's how we work, and then we work outwards from there. It's like if you need more information, it's fine to go pastiche, right? Because we're building a, a world, a universe, right, for people to live in, and and how it, he mentions things, he doesn't always go into detail, right? So we, we go wider. So we, we sort of how it is primary source, then we go secondary source like pastiche, and then we go to like the RPG books as a third source as well, if and see what other people have thought and how they've interpreted things. So we, we approach it that way when we're building. and But but it's kind of always been the core for us that Howard is like the, the source of truth for this. I, I've often wondered, uh, uh, I, I mentioned that uh, the Age of Conan was, was mentioned on the Big Bang Theory. 
But uh, also, Robert E. Howard was name-checked when, when Shelton said uh, uh, that's the age of Conan uh, based on the Conan character created by Robert E. Howard. And he, you know, he, so Howard got big props right there on, on national TV with a big show. And uh, I, I've often wondered if, there were, if they could track how the game advanced maybe just from that mention. I, I would just say anecdotally, uh, people came up to me after because, you know, in my small circle, I'm known as the Conan guy. Uh, <laughs> Same here. So, so are we all. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone knows that. Uh, they're like, oh, this, they, that's the game from Big Bang Theory. And I was like, I, I hate that show. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think that definitely it rang out a bit. It had to, right? Yeah, totally. Well, and, you know, it should be noted that Sheldon is a Texan. So, yeah, right on. you know, uh, yeah, representing the home state. So, uh, I don't think Bill Prady had that in mind. I think he just wanted a, a cool game, but uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, so, and, and that game ran, the, the, the other thing about this was the longevity of the, of the MMO uh, at a time when, you know, there was a, like a, you know, like a, like a one to two year turn on, on this stuff. Uh, this ran through several expansions and, and uh, and even spawned a spinoff. Uh, well, it's still running. It, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it hasn't it hasn't gone anywhere. Unchained. Yeah, it's uh, still running. Age of Conan Unchained is still there, free to play. Yeah, and uh, that's yeah. when did it go free to play? That was the other big deal. Yeah, two thousand twelve, thirteen. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been it's been available for everybody for a while, which is pretty awesome. You're still so. putting out a bit of content too. It has the uh, not best video game <laughs> score ever. The score is just beautiful. Uh, yes. yeah. The score for this game is just gorgeous. Um, I, I, uh, I put it on at home and just listen to it. Because, uh, it's, it's a Norwegian composer, uh, and uh, what's his last name? Haugen. Knut. Haugen. Haugen. Avenstrup. yeah. Anyway, uh, he actually recorded the initial score with, his, with Oslo Symphonic Orchestra. Or maybe it was even the London Symphonic. Wow. And uh, for the Rise of the Godslayer um, expansion, which took the world into Kitai and explored that whole eastern region, he <coughs> studied intensely and brought in Asian musicians with their special instruments to, to get the vibe and the feel. So I agree, it's one of the best game scores. And I can listen to those just sampling and just let them run. It's a beautiful, beautiful score. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Now this uh, this next thing was uh, uh, was the next big uh, big deal. Uh, a board game, a, a large scale strategy board game. Uh, Fred, did you was that you, was that you guys again? Yeah. This is uh, one of the first guys we approached. I'll talk a little bit more about that tonight, but was of course in the quest for gamification. Um, uh, an old associate friend, an Italian uh, uh, distributor and publisher, now known as Aris, then known as Nexus, he went on to, after this, do War of the Ring, big uh, game. But this was, he was a big Conan fan, and, and his group, uh, this is Roberto Di Meglio from, from uh, Italy, so it took Quite a few years for them to do the game, though. I think this was already planned for 2004 or five. Well, it's it's a gorgeous game. Uh, it's uh, 
I guess what we call Euro game style game, which means, you know, nice. Um, it's, it's, well, you know, they've got high-end components, they've got beautiful artwork, it's a, it's a gorgeous production, and it tends to be a little bit more complicated in, in terms of execution. It's not a, it's not a monopoly setup or anything like that, or even risk. I mean, there's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a layered game that, that actually does a, a, a really nice job of simulating the politics of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the different kingdoms. Uh, in a really in a really cool way, where you're going to you, you just you have Conan kind of wandering the land and you vie for control of him, right? <laughs> yeah, and that helps to swing the balance, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 literally the, the agent of change uh, in your in your in your setups. Uh, did you have a question? Yeah, I, I have a game in my car. If anybody wants to look at it later on, I'd be glad to do it. At the pavilion later on, if anybody wants to do a pickup game, we got uh, we've got a taker here, so. Um, yeah, let's move on. Uh, oh, Munchkin Conan. Is Bob here? There he is. Yeah. Uh, Bob, would you like to say something about uh, this? Um, I've, I've got Munchkin Legends, and that may be over in the library. Um, Munchkin, if you've never played it, it's a game where you both compete and you cooperate, and there's lots of humor. And, and I compare it to you can basically set someone on fire and then say, got a fire extinguisher if you would like to get a reward for it and it's, it's a help and staff in the back at the same time to get to level 10. It's a card game, it's, it's very sarcastic, it's very funny, they've done 500 iterations of Munchkin and one was Conan so they did Conan theme and Conan humor and people can get mad during Munchkin but it's a lot of fun and, and if you like whatever the theme is, as with Conan, You'll have more fun playing that than any other kind of game like that. Yeah. So I I think and Jay, you you worked on this deal with Steve Jackson, and I have a feeling that you can say yes or no that this was actually the first licensed IP for Munchkin. Correct. Okay. So then after that, this then they they opened the floodgates. But Kona was again the first. I. Uh... I got to play this game at, uh, at, a, at a thing called FablesCon, which was uh, a convention centered around Bill Willingham's uh, comic book Fables. He threw a convention in Minnesota in February. So um, that was smart. Um, but my, uh, one of the things we had to sign up for was an hour of time at the bar. Uh, that was all the guests were required to do that. And uh, I, didn't, I wasn't 10 feet inside the bar when uh, a group of people grabbed me and said, uh, we're so glad uh, that we found out you're here because we want you to play uh, Conan Munchkin. And I went, Conan what? <laughs> I, I didn't know that it had come out. And so uh, I, they, talk, they sat me down and we played Conan Munchkin together. And they were, they were just grinning from ear to ear. They were so excited to be playing uh, Conan Munchkin with me. And uh, that, that's actually one of my favorite uh, gaming experiences was, and these were strange, these, they just knew me and knew the- You were the, the Conan guy. I was the Conan guy, and so they thought, they thought this would be a, a cool thing to do. So I'm, I'm hoping that they're still dining out on that story. They probably aren't. Uh, uh, all right, are we, are we to the-, the I think we're, yeah. Here yeah. We okay. Uh, so <laughs> Monolith, uh, was this Kickstarter? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's right. It was at the sort of 
yeah, when Kickstarter started to blow up for board games, this was one of the big ones. And then at the same time, Blood Rage was, uh, I think, finishing. And so those two exploded. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's still kicking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the game, um, it's, it's, it's a different uh, game than the, the, the earlier board game. It's in that it's more skirmish based, which I, I wonder aloud if that was uh, in an attempt to sort of uh, maybe not ape the Hero Quest vibe, but to sort of you know ride that you know that that feeling. Oh yeah, uh, I mean definitely there was influences of that at the beginning. I mean even from having the 3D doors and things like that. Right. It plays significantly different. Sure. And. It's actually less skirmishy than it seems. It's very scenario-based. Mm -hmm. So, and from a design standpoint, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in tomorrow's panel, but it's beautiful because each scenario is kind of a blank slate. You've got the rules that govern it, but you can make a mini game however you want. Yeah. So each one can be exciting and as on brand as you want it. Um, yeah, I'm biased too from my work. I didn't write the game or anything, but, uh, it's still a total joy every time you play it. And even people who don't board game, it's easy to pick up. And when they play that game, the excitement is, is always, it's always there. It's a beautiful production too. It's gorgeous minis, uh, uh, beautiful character designs, uh, and again, more high-end artwork, which is one of the things that I'm so grateful for uh, in, the, in this modern era is the, the availability of amazing artists who really are inspired by this uh, source material that they can, I think they consistently turn in their best work when they work on these uh, properties, uh, personally. Yeah. And that one was mostly Adrian Smith, who was really famous from his Warhammer work. Yeah, Warhammer stuff. Yeah, yeah. and he created some truly classic Conan pieces and depictions. Yes, very much so. upon that. As a sideline, we had Adrian as a full-time staff artist when we did in the old target games we did chronopium and uh that studio when they defaulted that's when agent started working for workshops so his early chronopia work is where he cut his teeth of course he's changed his style is very different now but it's still there i think to me having seen all, all these 20 years of working with conan partners and licensees and the creative teams is that Artists are all, they're approaching Conan with trepidation because they're such massive fans of whether that is Bear Winter Smith or John Bushimo or Frazetta. Right. That they it's like it's like I don't know, it's like dating your your best friend's mother or something. <laughs> so, so you know, this is this is a, a through line. And here's the interesting thing. As they then progress I've met several artists, one of them is like Patch Searcher, they go to the other Howard characters because they, they all read the Howard Conan and they say, wow, this is great. And then they start reading whether that's Oliver Kane or El Barak or, you know, and all of a sudden they go, I'm doing an El Barak here, which like, so it, it is really infatuating how, yeah. how Howard's work is, is uh, inf influencing. Well, uh, Okay, so the next big thing after the board game uh, is uh, the 
I, I think it's probably the largest role-playing release for a game line. Well, I think Mongoose had more stuff. They, they were around longer. But this was another thing that was kickstarted. And um, uh, this, was enough, this was significant as well because we hadn't had uh, a tabletop role-playing game for a while. Um, and uh, right away, they were really intent on kind of embracing the, the Funcom model, which is, you know, we're, we're doing Howard's Conan. And so this was, this was significant um, because um, uh, Patrice Lunay and Jeff Shanks uh, were brought in early on to consult and uh, they talked to me about some stuff. I ended up doing some things at the end, uh, doing some, some proofreading for them, but also writing. And the, the, the goal for this was we want to use Howard's material only. And Jeff did a cool thing, I think. Um, he said, this is the chance to actually take some of the new scholarship and insert it. Uh, because right up through uh, the last of the, the Mongoose stuff, they were still drawing things out of the, the saga and using other people's uh, bits and pieces to, to make this. And so um, the, the edict became, you know, we don't want to make the same mistakes other people have made. We want to make all new mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that's when Zamora uh, City became Zamora uh, and, uh, and not Arjun or, you know, uh, Shadazar or anything like that. Uh, there was a lot of little stuff that got dialed back uh, to, to Howard's original material. Uh, the Hyborian Age uh, essay got uh, utilized, and um, whenever we had to make something up that needed to be made up, the first thing that we did was, can we find an analog in some of other of Howard's other work? Is there some, is there some you know, can we, can we sort of reverse engineer this to figure out uh, where some of this needs to be. Uh, in some cases, uh, I, I took the black stone all the way back to the Hyborian Age to get to, to that. So there's, everybody did this to, to various degrees, and I think uh, what's nice about it is uh, this is, I think, the most accurate. Yeah, and, and they, they leaned into the crossover element too, where they brought in Lovecraft explicitly um, wove that into it, and of course, there's the crossover books and all that jazz too. But I, I got to mention, to be fair, to be uh, fair, Patrice, you were involved in the board game as well, uh, and it did start there too. That was there's yeah. no pastiche material. Um, That's right. None of the decant yeah. stuff. That was the whole point. Yeah, thing. yeah. I just had to, I had to clarify, or I'd have my head cut off. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> Uh, so I worked on uh, one of the books for, for the line. Uh, Jeb, over here, raise your hand, Jeb. Jeb worked on the line. Matt, you worked on stuff there as well. Is, did, is anybody else here worked on the Modifius stuff? Well, if you want to come talk to us about it, we all have stories. So <laughs> That was my in. Like, I, I work for Monolith now, but my first project was uh, Chris Birch, the publisher, wanted to do the crossover stuff. And they had announced they were going to do a board game crossover book, and I was like, 
uh, who's doing that? <laughs> I, I had a prototype from the board game where I was uh, working on a scenario, like more of a fan thing, right? Um, and so that book kind of developed over time and we were deciding how do you do it? What are we gonna include? Uh, and eventually it's where we launched the solo co-op mode for the board game. So I wrote that up and it worked. People seemed to like it. Um, but the crossover element was cool because that was that was yeah. a new thing. We started to take there was the Exile Source book which I worked on. Age of Conan is still that book is still not out. So Age of Conan <laughs> is truly not dead. <laughs> it, it'll nice it'll to, never die any day now. It, it's nice to see how uh, when uh, early on when when Gary Gygax was influenced by Robert E. Howard and and the elements were there in the original D and D. But it's nice to see how it's come full circle, and now we have a real game, really, really based on the works of Robert E. Howard. You know, so his influence is, has been uh, what 50 some years now over that, and uh, uh, it, it's so nice to see, and it's so nice that that uh, it's gotten such a good reception, and it's all due to Robert E. Howard. That's right. I, we're we're right at the at the edge of it, so I think we're gonna uh, cut we'll it here. Uh huh. We talk about Conan. It's okay. Oh yeah, well, and uh, can you can you hit us with Conan Exiles? You don't have to. Sure. I've got it in my bag. Do you want me to hit it? Yes. No, <laughs> um, just in brief, Conan Exiles was well. It was our return to Conan after we'd done Age of Conan. Um, the the survival gaming genre. I don't know you know, how much people know about gaming, but the survival gaming genre was this new offshoot. Kind of Minecraft is this huge, huge game, and there's a lot of kids who've grown up playing Minecraft, and then um, the survival game is kind of a, a, a sub-genre of Minecraft, where it's like, if you don't eat, drink, and survive, you die, and you, you know. And we, we wanted to make a survival game, and obviously we went straight to the IP that we know and love, um, which was Howard and Conan. Um, and we thought that, like, how do we make the player fantasy of being a barbarian and we and Conan's journey is so good because he, you know it's barbarian to king right so it's yeah. such an obvious journey for us to recreate in the game so we we kind of always said like you start with nothing starving in the desert you know um no food no water crucified just like you know just like he is in, in uh, which shall be born and then as a player you mimic that journey you you have to survive however you can and then eventually you come to the top and realize that maybe it wasn't worth it after all, but that's a different <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we've got a lot more gaming stuff to talk about, and so uh, hopefully you'll be around uh, for the rest of tonight and tomorrow. Uh, we are available whenever we're not on panels, uh, so please come up and introduce yourselves and say hi, and uh, uh, we'll be happy to chat with you about all this. Thank you for being here. Enjoy the rest of Howard Days.